by my pastor and he said, be sure to introduce yourself because I forgot to. Come on. My name is Robin Wood and I have the privilege of being the church planting pastor here at Union Chapel. And it's truly a, a privilege and I'll be telling that story a little bit later. But I want to say what Greg would have said had he introduced me. It's just powerful. The sense God gave him the vision to plant 10 churches in 10 years, we have now planted eight churches already that this past Easter had over 2,200 in attendance. Will you give it up for that? In three years, we planted eight churches in three years. Now, I also want to tell you that we're presently training 24 church planters, a number from this congregation, a number around the country, because this summer we had the privilege of hosting our first ever national conference. And listen, with about a month and a half left to go, I walked into Pastor Greg's office and said, I need to repent to you because I misunderstood God's voice. I think we had something like 15 people registered and we had 11 teachers. Come on, that's funny. And I said, look, I'm sorry. And he said, Robin Wood, I'm disappointed in you. Where is your faith? That's what he said to me. And we trained over 100 and church, 120 church planters in July. Would you give it up for God? That's awesome. So thank you for your faith. He never quits having faith. He doesn't follow the statistics. It can happen at the last minute. We had so many people register. Eventually, the entire seminary class at Indiana Western University signed up and got our training. And he stayed an extra two hours on that last night to train them. It's powerful. So I have the privilege of doing that. We're not even counting right now when we tell you how many we've planted and how many we've trained. Um, I got Greg reconnected to someone I didn't know he knew, Steve Cordell. We got all these Methodist pastors across the country. There's a few of them that are on fire. And, uh, and he met Steve Cordell again. Steve pastors a church with five campuses in Pittsburgh. Steve reached out to me, did not know he knew our pastor to help uh, train and assess his planters. They have an internship program, and they have 
dreamed of planting 50 churches in Mozambique. When they had come to the conference in July here at Union Chapel, they had trained 12 pastors in Mozambique. Now they've trained 27. So one more big hand for God. That's awesome. And I just so much am grateful to this pastor and his wife for trusting me uh, to plant churches again. And that's just so important to me. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. Hey, I got to tell you one story. I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to try to paint a picture. I want you to enjoy this, all right? Um, and by the way, I need you to be the most responsive service so far. It's been a little waning, okay? So give me a little response, all right? Now, I want you to picture this. Now, on any given Sunday that I get to come when I'm not out of town, either planting churches or raising money, then I come here, you see the 845, I try to stay for about half of this service, and then I slip out the back and I've learned the shortcut over to Destiny Christian because this pastor has allowed me to coach Bishop Keith O'Neill. And Bishop said in May after Easter, he goes, we're having our 12th year anniversary, which you ought to clap one more time for because you planted that church. And he said, look, we're going to be packed out. Now picture this. Here's what happened to me, okay? It's one of those stories I think that only happened to me. But I went to that church, and I've learned the back way out of this parking lot to get on the, inter, on the bypass and get there in about seven minutes and not break the speed limit. I, I learned how to do it. So I want you to picture their church. They seat about 600. They have two entrances in the back, okay? Now, I got there late because I got caught up in one of his sermons and didn't leave on time. Come on, you know how that is. It was so unbelievable. So I snuck out the back door. You guys were still doing the last song or something, the blessing. I jumped in my car. I went the back way. I pulled in the parking lot. Now, if you go to a white church, you can walk in anytime. Come on, that's funny. But if you go to a multiracial church, then they don't let you in unless there's a break. Come on. So I got in there late. I'm sweating. I'm running. I can hardly run anymore. But they know me there. I preached there a few times. And the lady, the elder at the door said, Pastor, I can't let you go in. There's something important happening. I understood. So I didn't try to push my way in. Then she kept peeking through the window. And she said, okay, now you can go in. Now listen, the bishop was already preaching with fervor. I could hear him in the, my, in the speakers in the hallway. And it was unbelievable. And Pastor... Bishop Keith O'Neill said, this bishop from Atlanta, he's powerful. So I couldn't wait to get there. He was preaching. Now, when I walked in, I want you to picture, they were packed out just like this. So just picture two aisles, the far right one, if you want to get a picture of this. I'm sneaking down this aisle, and the bishop's preaching this way, and I hear him shout, we need one more. We need one more to be faithful, just $1,000. Someone that will give $1,000. There were like 20 people standing up front, and I was sneaking down this aisle. And I was about ready to sit down, and he turned this way, and he goes, there he is. Now, you can't make this up. And it kind of shocked me, so I stood up. He goes, sir, we can't thank you enough. Thank you for your faithfulness. Just come down here and join these people. He said, give him an applause. What could I do? I was trying to sit down for nothing. Now I'm going up front for 1000 Come on. All of a sudden, I walked down there, I stumbled down there, and now you got to understand, Bishop Keith is on the keyboard back here, because in those sermons, when you're in a multiracial church, they're playing more organ if the sermon gets better. Come on, you'd get a little better if you had a little music behind you. <laughs> Listen, so I got down here, Bishop Keith's behind the keyboards, and here's what he's mouthing to me. You weren't standing up. I saw the whole thing. That's what he was mouthing. And I go, and when I went like this, the bishop from Atlanta says, stick your arms out. So I did. I was up with everybody else. I just ignored Bishop Keith. And let me tell you something, I'm not going to joke anymore. It was funny up to now. And then he said, I'm praying a hundredfold. He prayed Mark 10, 31 over. Do you know that 
Peter turned to Jesus and said, we've left everything to follow you. And, you know, Jesus must have been humored by that because he looked at Peter and said, oh, Peter, Peter, you don't get it. Anyone who leaves houses or lands or mother or father or sons or daughters and they name wives or children, anyone who leaves everything for me, ready, people, will be blessed a hundredfold. Ready for the last phrase? In this life. Listen, in churches I pastored, they told me they'd bless me, but in heaven. Come on. You know, when the salary raise came up, they said, you'll be blessed, but later on. But Jesus said, in this life, you will receive a hundredfold. And he's listed houses and lands and sons and daughters and mothers and fathers. And you know what? That has been true in my life. And I stretch my hands out. Now, listen, this is very private, but I'm going to share it publicly. And this pastor knows he had been praying that I would receive the full filling of the Holy Spirit. And my hands were outreached. And this pastor prayed the most powerful prayer, a hundredfold blessing. But I wasn't focusing on that. I wasn't saying, give me, give me. I was saying, I want the Spirit. And listen, the Holy Spirit fell all over me. And all of us in this line, we were crying. And then we were kneeling on the stairs. If you've been to Destiny Christian, we were kneeling at the end of that service. Now listen, when that moment ended, I was overwhelmed with this. It was awesome. And I was so glad. But I want to make one thing really clear to you today. I was not faithful. I was trying to sit down for nothing. (laughs) And I got called out. And he was shouting, I need one more. And I am so glad. Whatever reason God timed that the way he did, it was my moment to be touched in a powerful way. And after that service ended, Bishop Keith marched straight to me. And he said, Robin, you do not have to give that $1,000. Now, I'm ADHD, so you have to understand my prayers are kind of funny. So I was being filled with the Holy Spirit. But God reminded me during my prayer that on Monday I had gotten a Sapphire Chase bank card. Come on, laugh out loud. (laughs) And you know what that means, don't you? If I spend $2,000 in three months, I got $500 back. I thought, I'm getting a hundredfold blessing for $500. Come on, people. <laughs> and I told Bishop Keith that. He couldn't quit laughing. He said, oh, Robin, you don't have to. I said, don't even talk to me, Bishop. I said, my only problem is I had to tell my wife about this. Okay, because I'd promised her. See, I've been going to these church plants, and every time you go, you get moved, and you get $500, you give it out. She said, you've got to promise me you're going to quit doing this. That's what she told me. And I thought, the only thing I was thinking is, i got to tell Julia. And so I told Bishop that, and he couldn't quit laughing. I said, but I have 30 days. You know, it's on a credit card. So I handed him the sapphire card. (laughs) And you know what? Before noon on Monday morning, I got a phone call from a man named David Salant. Now, David's a dear friend of mine. He's the golf coach at Warner uh, Warner College, one of our church colleges in in, uh, Florida. And he said, hey, can I ask you two things? And I want to tell you something really wonderful. He said, let me ask you one thing first. Did something unusual happen yesterday? And I said, well, I said, it's actually kind of funny. And so I told him the story. And he goes, well, I thought something did. Because my mother, Gracie, who loves you, Robin, like a son, she's 98 years old. She had a dream last night. She said it was more like a vision. And she wants to give you her new trailer she bought up here at Warner Camp. And I said, David, but she doesn't have to give me a trailer. He goes, oh, it's new, $44,000. It's a year old, and we build her a cottage. And Robin, don't worry about this. God gave her a clear vision. It's yours. And I, and I started crying on the phone. He goes, What's, I, I cannot believe. I said, first of all, I'm not trying to tie this. By the way, one more thing I told Bishop Keith I didn't tell you. 
I said, he prayed a hundredfold, but I'll take a hundred times. That's what I said. Come on. I'm a math major. You guys don't know that. I'm a math major. I'm not a theologian. I didn't get my master's of divinity until I was 40 years old. So I'm doing the numbers. I'll take a hundred times. Well, I'm 44,000 towards a hundred thousand. Come on, people. Give it up. Give it up. That's awesome. Now, listen, I'm not trying to play off that. But by 5 p.m., I had made a phone call to Oklahoma City to ask for a big, the, one of the largest donors in my life to consider a gift for our church planting. I didn't get a hold of him, but I got a hold of his secretary. And De- Debbie Richardson, she loves me. She loves me. She's known me for 30 years. And she said, Robin, we've been trying to track you down for two years. Come on, enjoy Come on, enjoy this as much as I did. She goes, you have a 401k with our company. You've worked here for five years for $10,000. Come on, somebody give it up out there. I'm halfway home. Come on. I'm at 54000 Now listen, I'm not going to make this about that. But I know one thing, my faith promise has to be pretty big this year because God, ready? This is a one-point sermon. We're not faithful. Listen, I wasn't standing up. I w- listen, had I sat down, I wasn't going to leap to my feet. So I'm not faithful, but God is. This is a one-point sermon. You can write it down, just don't leave early. This is it. God is faithful. And Greg, if he ends this service the way he did that service, you're going to hear a story that's going to blow your mind. So I'd wait on his closing if I were you. It's amazing. Because God is faithful, not us. Now, if you're able, I want you to stand for the reading of the scripture, all right? I want you to stand. After this, Genesis 15. Now, it's a long passage, but you got to get the story, and then I'll explain why it's so important. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant of my household will be the heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son. Now remember, Abram is 90 years old. A son who is your own flesh and blood who will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Of course he couldn't. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, and he said, Cut them in two and arrange them opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now, as the sun was setting, I want you to hear this. Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Not very good news. But I will punish that nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, Abram, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, 
a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch. Anybody know who that was? That was God himself. Appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. You may be seated. May God give honor to his word. Now, all of that. Thank you, Beth. By the way, you know why Beth comes to every service? Last night, Greg forgot three announcements, and she shouted them out right on time. Now I'm sweating. She brought me a towel. That's awesome. I put that down because I can't bend down and pick it up. So here we go. All right, here we go. Now listen. On that day, God made a covenant with Abram. Now I want to tell you about our pastor. I get to introduce our pastor all over the country with people who have been in my life a long time because I planted a church in Phoenix. I've been in Casper, Wyoming. And when I go out, when you don't see me here, I'm out either asking for money for our church plants or else raising up church planters. And I get to tell the story of Greg and Beth Paris. Now, I'm going to tell it as quickly as I can, and I want you to enjoy it. And please be responsive, okay, because I worked hard on this. I begin by saying, don't put a spirit-filled Methodist pastor, if that even exists. Come on, that's funny. (laughs) Don't put a spirit-filled Methodist pastor in a cornfield, either called Dunkirk or Albany. I can't figure out what it is, because I lived in the metropolis of Eaton, Indiana, and I couldn't find the church. Come on. (laughs) Don't put a spirit-filled Methodist pastor and his wife who's spirit-filled in a cornfield and think you got rid of them with 32 people in a church that I visited a week before I went to Wyoming to hear him preach at a unity service with four wooden pews and about 34 or 35 people. Don't do it because he'll find his way to the high school and claim that God built it for him so he could have bigger services. Come on, people. That's awesome. Give it up for that. And he'll go there without the blessing of the school board because they haven't been touched by God's spirit yet, but he'll get there with some favor and they'll have a service because he led the leading farmer, Archie, to Christ, who was leading the church and not even a Christian. Come on, it gets better, doesn't it? And Archie comes to Christ, and he doesn't even, and I get to tell everybody I meet, and by the way, I forgot to tell you, three women by the name of Gladys, Opal, and Flosie were praying for him every day. And one of them was Archie's wife. And I said, and let me tell you, don't put him in a cornfield with his wife, who's spirit-filled, because they'll find their way to the high school. And then after God explodes that church, then they'll buy the Ford dealership in Muncie. Come on, it gets better, doesn't it? We just came out of the showroom. I don't know where we are now. Someone told me this was a body shop. You look pretty good. Okay, (laughs) this is a body shop. And let me tell you something. I didn't say the first service. Don't you dare put someone there and withhold his ordination for a year because you're not sure about him because he didn't answer all the questions right in the interview. You know how that is. They gave me my ordination because they knew my father. That was a big mistake. Come on. No, that's the only question they asked me. And they knew my father-in-law. But they withheld it for a year. And you know why? Because they didn't understand what to do with a young pastor with power. There are two signs of the Holy Spirit. You read Mark chapter 16. I preached from Mark 17 last week, but someone told me there's only 16 chapters. So Mark 16, it says these signs will follow. It's verse 17. I got a little confused. I'm ADHD. Come on. These signs will follow, that they will speak in other tongues, and they will have power. They will have power. And I've never been around. Listen, I've had two unbelievable privileges in my life. I was mentored by Bill Hybels to plant churches, and he changed my life. 
and I, at 27 years old, went to Fort Lauderdale, Florida with 5,000 people to go out in groups of three to learn a thing called evangelism explosion. And we counted off one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And then we were assigned a car. And when I got to the car with Myron Augsburger, it was Dr. James Kennedy that took us out. Come on, people. And he put his arm over the seat. I'll never forget what he said. He put his arm over the seat of the front seat. We were in the back seat. He said, boys, I might get nervous tonight and not answer the questions. I'll never forget. I, could, I thought, he wrote the program. What's wrong with this guy? Dr. Kennedy wrote Evangelism Explosion. And very humbly, he said, I might get nervous tonight and not ask the two questions. You know what they are. If you were to die tonight, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? And if they answered that, yes, then you follow up with a qualification question. If you were to stand before God and he would say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I'd never learned those questions until I was 27 years old. And he said, I might get nervous and not ask the questions. Now follow me. He turned around and started the car. And while the engine was making noise, I said, Myron, we're in trouble. He wrote the program. That's what I said. So we got to the house and lo and behold, a guy with a beater shirt came out holding a beer, answered the door. And Dr. Kennedy said, hey, we came to visit you. I guess your wife visited the service Sunday. He invited us in, and lo and behold, Dr. Kennedy got nervous and looked right at us. Come on, this is hilarious. So I asked the two questions. Come on. I thought, if I don't ask the two questions, I have to give my testimony. So I asked the two questions, and then I turned to Myron and said, would you share your testimony? Come on, people. (laughs) And Myron shared his testimony. Now, they didn't laugh in the first service. So you have to understand, Dr. Kennedy is a Calvinist. I'm just setting you up so you'll get the punchline, all right? This guy came to Jesus Christ, and it was unbelievable. We prayed with him. We, we were doubters of the program anyways. I didn't believe in the two questions. I was skeptical, and I watched this guy come to Christ. We got back in the car, and Dr. Kennedy put his arm back over that seat and looked at us and said, boys, you just saw a big miracle. And we thought, well, yeah, you got saved. He goes, no, you just saw one of the non-elect come to Jesus. Come on, that's hilarious. <laughs> Would you laugh? But remember, it's all predestined. Do they know that here? We're Wesleyan. They don't know that. Okay, I, I just wonder why nobody laughed. Listen, that changed my life forever. I went back to Wyoming, and the first thing I did, I was in my yard that Sunday night when I flew back and had not been in church Sunday morning, and I, I still was not convinced and I thought, I'm not going to ever ask these questions. No, I said that to myself. And my neighbor, about five houses down, was out watering his lawn. It was a summer. It does get hot in Wyoming for one month. And, and Mr. Gilmore waved me down. And he said, hey, I missed you this morning in church. I said, well, I was in Florida. And he goes, what were you doing? I go, well, you don't really want to know. That's what I said to him. I didn't know anything about him. And he said, no, tell me what you're doing. I said, well, I got some training, and they taught us two questions, and they taught us how to share our faith. And he goes, what were those two questions? Come on, people, you can't make this up. And I asked the two questions that he answered wrong. I said, no, you wouldn't want me to, like, share the outline, would you? He goes, yeah. Actually, I'd like you to come in and share with me and my wife. And that night, the Gilmores came to Christ. And I was never going to ask the questions. I was never going to do the program. I wasn't, because I wasn't convinced even after the The guy with the beater shirt on with the beer. Come on. I wasn't convinced. And then for the next three years, God allowed us to train over 300 people to share their faith every day and ask those questions. And look at me, people. There was not a day that went by that someone didn't come to Christ. Now, before I came here to preach today, I made one mistake. 
Yesterday, I went to see my youngest daughter. Come on, enjoy that. She's a millennial. Come on, no, no offense. I'm high on millennials. I heard the sermon. They're the best. Okay, let's clear that. You guys are the best. Cole, I'm looking at you. You're the best. Cole's the best planter I've ever had. Him and Caleb Staten, they're off the chart. They're millennial. Guess what my daughter said to me? Dad, are you going to preach on faith promise for the third year in a row? She goes, I need to tell you something. Are you guys ready for this? You think she's going to encourage me? She goes, I need you to know millennials don't believe anymore that we get extra money. Come on, you my own daughter. Right before I preached last night. And you know, Saturday night's so hard to preach. There's only 32 people here. And now my daughter's told me we don't believe in getting extra money. I reminded her, look at me, people. I reminded her that my father-in-law, her grandpa, started Faith Promise in the Church of God. And that first year, over a million dollars was given because God is faithful, not us. I said, honey, I'm not lecturing you. But I'm going to tell you something. If you trust God, even your dad will give you some extra money. That's what I told her. <laughs> and you know what? I get to introduce this couple because they not only did what they did and have stayed in one place their whole ministry, but... He had a vision from a missionary in his office over 30 years ago. You guys know the story. And I get to tell this all over the country. He had a vision of thousands of people coming to Christ with round faces. And they weren't white and they weren't black. They were just brown. And they, had, they weren't Asian. And so he had this vision from this missionary. Now, you know what's good about that story? He's never seen that missionary again. He doesn't even know that missionary's name. But he says it was so clear in his head, he carried the picture that she painted for 12 years. 12 years. 12 years. And he would tell this vision to his staff. And then Randy Kranig, 12 years later, landed in Kazakhstan. I don't even know why, but I get to train Randy Kranig. That's where I get to train now because of this pastor. And Randy's raised up now almost five, 600 people in Fort Collins because of you people, your faithfulness. And they've stayed there faithfully, just like Beth and Greg. And, and he carried this picture. And Randy said, I found him. And so Greg went there. And yes, that was the picture in his mind. And you guys, over the last 20 some years, have gone to Kazakhstan faithfully. Don't you think he could have picked a place a little closer? Come on, I was proud of taking my church to Honduras and we took over 750 people, but it's like going to Mexico. Come on, people. I was a good pastor. I chose a flight that only cost $300. But let me tell you, all over the country, I get to say I work for a pastor that believes in miracles. And they went to Kazakhstan. And can I bless you today? I didn't finish that story that on the Tuesday after Easter... Did I start this story? I forget. It's my third time to preach. Did I start this story yet? The Tuesday after Easter? Okay, let me get to the real story. The Tuesday after Easter, this man walked in to our staff meeting. We do this every week. There's 14, 16 of us. They're all mostly young. Us two older guys walk in like we belong there. Don't worry, they're all young. And we have an opening prayer, and it's always pretty normal. We evaluate Sunday's service, and then we talk about next week. And we do a few things that are very important. 
But this week after Easter, we sat down and very soberly, Pastor Greg said, I came face to face with the devil yesterday. And that's what he told us. And it got real quiet. I was sitting right, he, he was at the head table, I was sitting right to his left. And he said, and the devil told me that my ministry was done. Now you ought to be thankful he's married to Beth because he went, I'll let him tell that story someday because it was so vivid, it made me nervous. And he said, I went to Beth and she laughed at me. Come on, that's great, isn't it? She said, you've pastored this long and you don't know the devil. The devil's always a liar. Your ministry is an ending. It's just beginning. Come on, people, give it up for that. It's just beginning. And so instead of listening to the devil, he listened to his wife. That's pretty good. And he told us that story. Now look at me, people. And then he said, you know, we were going to plant 10 churches, but I have a prophecy. 10 churches in 10 years. He said, God told me 100 churches in 10 years. And look at me. I didn't work it up. I started crying almost uncontrollably. And he says to me, you always cry. You've got to quit crying so much. He always tells me that. And I said, look, I had open heart surgery. I'm sorry, you cry all the time after they cut you open. That's true, you know. I started crying almost uncontrollably. And he said, will you receive that prophecy? A hundred churches in 10 years. And I could not quit crying. And then Pastor Glenn looked up. And Pastor Glenn said, I have a word for you, Robin. I have a word from the Lord. He said, I need to say one thing to you first. I need you to forgive me for something. When we hired you a few years ago, I went home and told my wife, we made the biggest mistake we've ever made at Union Chapel. <laughs> I thought you shouldn't begin a prophecy with that good news. But I was still crying, so I didn't pay much attention. And they said, and you know, Glenn's awesome. Glenn had tears coming down his face. And he said, I want you, Robin, look at me, to replicate yourself in five people. Because you do know how to plant churches. And I, I never lose my humor, even in the midst of all those tears. You remember, Greg, I said, I won't replicate myself because I'm a mess. Come on, people, enjoy it. I did. I said, I don't like that word, but I will reproduce in five people what I teach across the country. Now, it's pretty simple. I won't tell you what I teach. It's very simple. You can learn it in 30 seconds. I drag it out for three hours so they'll pay me consulting fees. Come on. But I could teach you in one minute. He knows. You know, in one minute, I could tell you my five Ps. But here's the deal. I was crying. They laid hands on me. We prayed. I will never forget what I call the Tuesday after Easter 2018. Because from that moment, I'm going to tell you a story at the end of the service that I've never told anyone until the staff on Tuesday. And I've asked Rhonda if I could share this story today. But I want you to know, from that moment, it led to our conference where we trained over 120 new church planters. I've gone to five people. Cole, you're one of them. And Caleb Staten, they said, yes, we'll teach what you're teaching. And Ryan Miller said, yes. And he's our planter down in Marietta. Last said, they only have 147 chairs, and they filled them twice in two services last week. Come on, give it up for that. That's awesome. And then this week, he got favor to build an auditorium in the same industrial building for over 500 seats. So Ryan said, Robin, I promise you, I will teach these five Ps to as many planters as I can. And then I went to Kyle Mears, who was our worship leader for the young people. And Kyle said, I will do it. And then his mother heard me ask Kyle, and his mother said, I'll teach it too. Come on, people, give it up for that. We needed a faithful woman in this story. 
That's what I've been teaching Julie. Now, I didn't know on the last day of my vacation last year in May, just a few months ago, that God would break my car down. God would break my car. Is this working now? I didn't know if Greg said my time was up. I didn't know if it was. God broke my car down in Sarasota to meet a Russian church planter. No, it's one of the most incredible stories in my life. That morning, my bonus daughter, Gracie, I'm in a blended family. My bonus daughter, Gracie, said, I hate to remind you, you're a senior now, Pop. They know how to hurt you, don't they? She said, but I got good news for you. You're going to go hit golf balls this morning. On the way home, you go by that Taco Bell. Seniors get free drinks. Come on. (laughs) That's what she told me. So I sent them to the ocean. I was a little mad at her, but I hit about 200 golf balls, Greg, and I stopped at that Taco Bell. And I got six refills for free, man. (laughs) I stood there right at the fountain just drinking six of them. You'd never do that, but I would. So I just... I thought, I'm glad I'm a senior. I was dripping wet from hitting golf balls. And I got back in my Camaro. It's an older Camaro, but it has a VET engine. A little impressive, right? It's never not. It started. I drove to the stoplight at Clark and Beneva. Come on, I lived here for eight years. I know right where I am. Clark's the main road that goes to the ocean. Right across the street is Buffalo Wild Wings. I know right where I am. And I get to that stoplight, and my car quits running. I thought, well, maybe it just kicked out. So I tried to start again, and it wouldn't start. I'm thinking, oh, you know, it must be the battery, you know, and it won't start. So I get out, and I'm dripping wet. I've had my free drinks. Come on, enjoy the whole moment. And two guys jump out of their truck, and they push me across Clark. And lo and behold, I forgot this. There's a Goodyear store right on the corner. And I go in that Goodyear store, I think, Lord, you're so... I said to myself, what are the odds? Come on, I wrote the book. I go, what are the odds? And I walked in the Goodyear store. There's nobody in any bay. There's only one car getting an oil change. And I say to the gentleman behind the desk, sir, could you give me a jump? And he goes, we're really busy. And I I can sometimes lose it. I've done that. I'm embarrassed about myself. But I thought, hold it together. Sir, could I ask you one more time? I'll pay you if you give me a jump. Sir, I'm telling you, we can't get to you for a couple hours. And I thought, now I can either get into it or I can remember that I have AAA and I'm a gold member. So I walked out, dripping wet, called AAA, but I have a 602 area code, you know. So they route me to Phoenix. Come on, enjoy the moment. Now I'm in a conversation with someone speaking in another language, it seems like, and I'm trying to tell them I'm in Sarasota. They can't figure it out. Finally, they get my number and I'm dripping wet. And they finally say, we can get someone to you in an hour. You know, they're always there in 30 minutes. What's this about? So I call my wife at the beach. Honey, I know we have jumper cables in the Suburban, but don't worry about me. I'm going to walk into this Peruvian restaurant I've never been to. I could have gone to Buffalo Wild Wings. I could have gone anywhere. But I said, honey, I can see it right here. I'm going to go in and try to get some jumper cables. So I walked towards the Peruvian restaurant and out walked two young guys. One was all toed up. Later, I found out his name was Alex, and there's a short little guy. And they started talking in broken English. I said, hey, you guys got any jumper cables? No, have rental car. Don't know we have no jumper cable. I went to the car. They were so kind. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And I said, hey, don't worry. I have AAA coming. No, no, we're eating lunch inside with friend in Sarasota. Maybe he has jumper cables. And all of a sudden, this handsome, about 40-year-old guy with a kind of gruff bill comes out. And and. He's got the shortest, thinnest jumper cables. I thought they were for a lawnmower. 
I've never seen anything like it. They were so kind, and he didn't speak in broken English, but I could kind of tell you he was from an Eastern Bloc country. And so I said, hey, guys, I don't think that's going to work on a vet engine, but you're so kind, we'll try it. So we went to a picture. I won't drag this out. We hooked up the car. Don't worry, nothing's going to, and nothing did happen. Nothing's going to happen. We let it, and then I said, I might as well meet you guys. I said, what's your name? Igor. Igor, that's a good name. Where are you from? Igor's from the Ukraine, you know? And so that's interesting. And then I said, who's this? This is Alex. And he said, Michael just flew in from Russia yesterday. I, I tell you the truth when you meet Michael, he looks just like Putin. Come on, he looks just like Putin. And I said to Michael, don't be, don't be mad at me, but you look just like Putin. And he couldn't quit laughing. He goes, that's told to me every day. So they asked me my name, so I just told him straight out, Robin Hood, since we're having such a good time. <laughs> they won't believe Robin Hood anyway. So Robin Hood, because I do steal from the rich and give to the poor. I do do that. So here's the deal. Igor says to me, Robin Hood? I said, well, it's really Wood, but you won't believe that. And so we have this nice little talk. I tried the car for the third time. Nothing happens. And then I said, Igor, what do you do? And he says this straight out sentence. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you taking notes? You won't understand this, Robin. It won't make any sense to you, but I'm a church planter. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. And he goes, Robin, is there something wrong? I said, no, Igor. Ask me what I do. I said, listen, God's allowed me with his grace to plant, you know, over 80 churches. Now we're going on number 85 this summer. And I said, I coach church planters. He turns to Alex and says, he's all toed up. Alex, tell him your story and tell him what we were doing in the restaurant. So Alex says, I was so lost on drugs a year ago and Igor led me to Christ because he's a church planter. I go, okay, that's unbelievable. And I was thrilled. I go, what were you doing in the restaurant? You got your seatbelts on? He goes, we were praying that Igor could find a church planting coach. Come on, people. You can't make this up. What are the odds? And let me tell you this. Let me just tell you this. We're not faithful. God is faithful. Did you put that phrase up? Faith promise is all about God's faithfulness, not yours. And then I'm going to ask you one question today. Will you have the faith to believe the God you believe in? Did you catch that? God gave me that phrase, by the way. Do you have the faith to believe the God you say you believe in? Because he's going to end this service telling you about God's power in this church. Because we're not faithful. I didn't stand up that day. He yelled, I need one more. And I'm going to tell you this. I need one more person here at Union Chapel to be the next church planter. And I know that's Cole and Caleb. I need one more to train. I need one more person that will be as faithful as Greg and Beth and stay in one community for a lifetime. And I don't mean me. This is what God says through us every day that we preach. I need one more to believe the number I put on your mind. Because see, I could have told you the three stories, I'll do it real quick, that I've told the last three years, because I don't have any new ones. My neighbor Mike and Karen went to the first Faith Promise talk from my father-in-law in Phoenix, Arizona, at that church plant, and Mike was an atheist. He only came because it was my father-in-law, and he told the story about maybe you should go home and get in separate rooms and try to come up with the same number. 
You know that. So you, those of you who have been here, you know that number. And so Mike made fun of that all the way home. And, he, and of course, he said what everybody says, it's an atheist. I knew if I went to church, they'd talk about money. Come on, you know. That's what we always say. And so on the way home, Karen got so mad at Mike, she finally said, Mike, you're not only an atheist, you're mean. You don't need to be mean to Robin's father-in-law. He was just talking about going home and maybe going to separate rooms and asking if we'd come up with the same number. So Karen goes, why don't you try it, Mike? You know the story. Mike went in a room. She went in a room. Now, he was in there thinking, I can't write an even number. She might get it. I can't put 1000 or 1500 So he wrote $1,750. And you know what Karen wrote? You know the story. She wrote $1,750. Come on, people. And then he came out. He wasn't happy about that. He got madder. So he didn't talk to her the rest of the night. Then he went to work Monday morning, and he had an envelope on his desk. He's an engineer. Come on, they never cry, by the way. They're not like me. He got that envelope, and on it it said, we miscalculated your raise last year. We owe you this much money. And he actually got nervous to open the envelope, and he should have been nervous because the amount was $1,750. I told you that story a year ago and two years ago. I could tell you about my mother writing me a letter about my grandma. You know, when I die, Charlotte, this happened a number of years ago, we'd made our largest faith promise ever, and here's what was in the letter. When I die in the next month or so, Charlotte, that's my mom, would you pay off my tithe? Would you pay my faith promise? She gave the numbers, and then she goes, will you give each kid, there's three of us, will you give each kid $10,000? When my grandmother died, I didn't know this letter existed, my mother gave us all $5,000. Come on, start laughing right now. When she sent me the letter to use in the faith promise talk, she thought I was going to read that part of it. She forgot how little she had given us, and her son called her right away and said, what's up with the $5,000? Because that year, look at me, people, we had made, now listen, we made 20-some thousand dollars as pastors when we planted. We had made a $5,000 commitment, and she sent it. Let me tell you something. I'm not going to cry, I promise. I'm going to think of something else right now. I'm telling you, we're not faithful. God is. And will you have the faith? So I'm going to ask you two things right now. Will you ask God for a number over the next week? Not today. You can do it today if you want. But I want you to pray for, will you pray for a week? Will you pray for, that's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand if you'll pray. Not right now. I'm going to ask you in a few moments if you'll stand. If you'll pray for a week. Now I'm going to add one thing. Because of the final thing I'm going to tell you. I'm going to ask you if you'll pray for two or three people to come to Christ this year through you. Because this is never about money. This is always about people coming to Jesus. Church planting is the number one way that people come to Christ. We know that, other than one-on-one. Now I'm gonna tell you a story I never told anybody. I told the staff and I asked Rhonda's permission. When I came back to this church four years ago, nobody knows this. I told my wife, you know, I always wanted to meet Lewis Heaton because I've heard so much ever since his father was a farmer. Listen, I came to Eaton, Indiana when I was 19 years old, and Clyde Poe took me to his elevator, and then Wayne Spiker took me out on the first combine. I knew nothing about farming, and Wayne had to teach me the difference between beans and corn, and there's a lot of difference. You'd think I already knew that. But I didn't know any of that. And when I got to this church, I told my wife I wanted to meet Lewis Heaton. Little did I know I was gonna get to meet a bonus person, Rhonda who's such an incredible woman of God. And little did I know that one Sunday morning, I walked down front, 
It was the first service, Rhonda. I'm looking at you. And I hugged Lewis. And I gave him my book. And little did I know that tragedy would hit this family. That he'd find out that he had glioblastoma and he had let me come out to the house and pray for him. And the first time I went out to pray for him, not just to enjoy knowing him, he invited me to the barn. And I was a golfer in college. I used to have a club head swing speed of 111 miles an hour. That's pretty good, by the way. I played number one over at Anderson College. It's a little school. And, uh, and Lewis took me to this beautiful simulator. And I got up there and I said, Louis, I've been cut open. I wonder how much my club head speed is. And I gave it all that I had, and I got to 84 miles an hour. Come on, people. You can laugh. And Lewis jumped up there. He was right at 109 at first, and then he had 111 miles an hour. And I thought, what an awesome guy. And I always wanted to meet him. And that day, Jack Capey also came out with me, and we prayed for him. And now he had had the bad news, and then they invited me out again when God spoke to their heart, and they gave an unbelievable gift so we could plant the church in Florida, at Cape Coral. During one of the services, Rhonda, you taught me a phrase, Rhonda, I haven't told any other service. Paul Erminger, he's the real deal. That's what she said to me. And we want to give this gift so that he can plant that church. And Lewis looked at me and said, I only have one prayer, no matter how this turns out. And he was still looking healthy. He was still strong. He said, I only have one prayer no matter how this turns out. I want hundreds of people to come to Christ because of my life. And we cried and we prayed. And on the last week, actually maybe a day before Lewis went into eternity, they let me come back out to pray with him. And he, he, he wasn't awake most of the time. And I got to meet your sisters and Lewis's mom again, who I know and I love. And then I asked Rhonda if I could go pray with him and tell him how many had come to Christ through the two churches in Marietta and Cape Coral. It's over 300 people. And I told, I said, Lewis, can you hear me? And he looked up at me. He, he woke up. I said, Lewis, look at me. Squeeze my hand. He squeezed my hand. I said, 159 have come to Christ at Cape Coral. And 160-some in Marietta. And he said one word, wow. And I prayed for him. In the next couple of days, he went into eternity. Let me tell you what God told me this week. He said, you close that service and tell him this. One day I met the apostle Peter, and he was fishing. And I asked him, but I want you to end your life fishing for men and women. You fish for fish. I want you to fish for men. And he said, I want you to look in the eyes of everybody at Union Chapel and say, I told Lewis, I wanted him to end his life planting, not corn, not beans, but churches so that men and women would find Jesus. Would you give it up for that? Give it up. Now look at me. I want you to bow your heads right now. And I want you to respond to this from the Lord, not from me. If you would pray for a week about a number God would put in your mind.
And if you would pray for two or three people, would you stand right where you are right now? If you would pray and ask God to help you believe in the God you believe in. Would you stand right where you are? You'll pray for a number that you'll be faithful to give. God is faithful, not you. Would you listen for that number? Would you stand right where you are? Awesome. Pastor, would you pray with you? Share some closing words and pray with Lord, I thank you this morning for the work of your spirit among us. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for nudging us and reminding us of important things. Help us to see the world that we're living in through your kingdom and through the biblical vision. Help us to be those who seek first the things that you care about. So bless us now as we consider what you might ask us to do with faith promise this year. Lord, the opportunity is great. The fields are widened to harvest. So thank you, God, for placing your hand upon us and to pray for those who are in need of you. We pray for breakthroughs. We pray the light would shine in dark places. Now, would everyone just stand, please? Here's the, here's the blessing. Receive the blessing. This has been a great blessing already, but as we, uh, as we conclude the service, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Be at peace both now that it is to come and forever. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you. God bless.